Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Friday, December the 30th, 2022, at 12.04 p.m. Central Time. Today's focus, made up Bible verses. Made up Bible verses. Is it true that at certain points in church history and the history of Christianity, some people decided, you know what, let's just make up Bible verses. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll take this Bible verse and we'll just make up what it actually means. We'll make it mean what we want it to mean, and then everyone will buy along buy everyone will buy into this. They'll just go along with it and we'll create really a wrong understanding. We will we will deceive people, we will mislead people. Was there some like plot to do this? What exactly happened and what Bible verses were supposedly made up? If you've been with us for the Today's Focus broadcast, we've been looking at an email that was sent to me. Now, someone sent me the email and the email really comes from an article that's on the internet and it's called Eight Key Bible Verses Were Just Made Up. According to the email, according to the article, there are eight key Bible verses that were just entirely made up. And for some weird reason, we all just keep going along with them year after year after year after year. But this person who wrote this article, they figured it out. Everyone else got it wrong, but they figured it out. Yeah, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but that's really what they're kind of, the the idea that they're putting forth is that, hey, uh, all you Christians, you don't actually study your Bible, so you don't really understand these verses, but I do. So um, I, I, I always find that somewhat kind of humorous, but okay, okay. But at the same time, now this is very important, whenever someone sends me something critical of anything, uh, my interpretation, critical of Christianity, I always sit back and at least do this. I try to set aside what I think. I try to s- set aside what I think I know. And, I, and I'm always willing to relook at any argument because because I know that I am not infallible. I'm very much aware that I'm fallible because in doing that, sometimes I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe they're right here. Maybe I was wrong. So I'm trying to look at these as fair and as objective as I can be. So far, they've not done a very good job of convincing me that these things are made up. What they've convinced me of is that in some cases, they completely misunderstand. Or number two, they can't read the very context of the chapter where the verse that they say is made up is found because the context would say, no, that's exactly what's being talked about. But we've gone through a bunch of these. So I'm going to remind you quickly, and then today we're just going to look at one more. Um, I, I want to try to finish this, but I, I, I think today we need to spend a little time. So I know typically the Today's Focus podcast episodes are supposed to be between, be between 15 and 20 minutes. I don't always follow that rule, and I'm not so worried about following that rule today because this one, this one today, I'm going to be honest with you, really bothers me. And it bothers me because if they are right, not only have I been taught wrong my entire Christian life, I possibly have believed wrong my entire Christian life. So this one has a lot of uh, significance to me. And what kind of caught me off guard is I kind of gave a preview of it in the last Today's Focus broadcast. 
And some listeners were like, oh, I never thought it was about that. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? I, I thought everyone thought that. So this one, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm invested in. So if I'm invested in it, well, <laughs> by default, you're invested in it because you're listening, right? So here we go. According to this article and according to the emailer, eight key Bible verses were just made up that Christian, that Christianity invents as needed, that Christianity just invents things when it's needed. Now, I think that that's a very valid argument and we would have to look at it. But in this particular case, if this is their best proof, that I think they're having a little bit of problems. But this is what, or I think they're clearly misunderstanding some things. But this is how the article, the email begins. When I grew up in church, what people called Christianity mostly boiled down to a couple of Bible verses. I learned later they were all faked. Now, first of all, anyone who says Christianity is boiled down to just a couple of Bible verses, I don't know what kind of church you were going to, but you were so misled and you were lied to. Christianity is based on the entire Bible. I mean, that that's it's not just a couple of verses. So that that is troubling. But to say that they were completely faked is a massive claim. And so far, he's done a very poor job. And and I believe the author is male, so I will refer to him as he. Um, I think he has done a very poor job and even coming close to proving anything. But we will see. All right, so let's go. Let's remind you quickly of the ones that he says are made up. Number one, he claims that that it's made up by Christians, that we claim that Genesis says the world is evil. Well, number one, that's just not an accurate understanding of Christian teaching. We don't say the world is evil. We say the world is under a curse. The world has been cursed by sin, and we see the results of the fall in creation because all creation groans. So we see sickness, we see plagues, we see famine, we see disease, we see storms. We see all of these horrible things that happen because the all of creation is groaning until its ultimate redemption. Well, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, but it's cursed. Not that it's evil. We believe the evil is right here inside of you and inside of me called human depravity. All right. So that's, so that one was just a complete misunderstanding. And I I don't know where they're coming from, but that was the first one they say we just made up. Number two. Now this one is serious. They claimed that we basically made up Jeremiah 17.9. That Jeremiah 17.9 is translated in almost every English translation on the earth as the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And who can know it. He argues that that is not a correct understanding of that scripture. That is not a correct translation of that scripture. And basically, I'm going to summarize. He says we should go with the, the, tra- the translation as found in the Septuagint. We should not go with the Hebrew. We should go with the Septuagint, where the Septuagint read, uh, reads something along these lines. The heart is deep above all else, and so is man. And who shall understand him? Now, this does raise, and I, and I, and this is one of the reasons I do. I, I, this is one of the reasons I do love reading what critics or skeptics are saying because sometimes they bring issues to the forefront that we don't talk about or mention in the church, and we need to always be listening to their their concerns, their questions, their doubts, their skepticism 
because it forces us to really look at this. So we do need to do a little bit of work of why is the Septuagint's translation here so radically different than, than what we would find in the Hebrew text? I mean, it is night and day. So then we would have to go back to Jeremiah chapter 17, read the whole chapter and go, hmm, does the Septuagint translation make sense based off the context? Or does the Hebrew translation make sense according to the context? But I, my approach was different. My approach to this was, okay, you're right. Let's throw out Jeremiah 17.9. Let's throw it out and let's say, well, we should not use that to prove that human beings are sinful. I believe I can still prove that human beings are totally depraved by going from Genesis to Revelation and skipping Jeremiah 17.9. I think I can still demonstrate the truthfulness of that doctrine without it. But of course, so according to them, the everyone is desperately wicked is just a made-up Bible verse, and Jeremiah 17.9 is should not be translated as the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. According to them, that that's just wrong. So number one, uh, they say that we made up the fact that Genesis says the world is evil, which we don't say that. We say the world Genesis would tell us that the world is cursed, not evil. Number two, that uh, everyone is desperately wicked. He would claim that we made that up because of Jeremiah 17, 9. I will argue we can prove that through the use of the Bible without Jeremiah 17, 9. Then number three, is lust forbidden? That He argues that Jesus was not referring to inner erotic interest as bad in Matthew 5.28, where it supposedly reads, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's like, no, that word lust there should just be seen as a, a desire or to covet. But the point is, it's still, it, I, you're still committing adultery. So it still is some kind of lust, some kind of coveting for a woman who's not yours. So therefore, in your heart, you're committing adultery. So I don't know. I don't even understand the argument here of what he's trying to say. Once again, he's just, he's ignoring the the rest of the verse, focusing on one word, trying to change the word. So I guess that lust is no longer forbidden. But again, I believe we could prove that lust is forbid, forbidden. I, I think we can demonstrate that with that verse, even if you want to argue with how we should translate the word lust there. So, all right, number four, does Paul call sexual interest burning? Now, once again, he says that 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9 should be translated this, but if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to grieve. And the way that they want us to understand 1 Corinthians 7, 9 is that this is just about like, hey, I really... Uh, I, I just can't stay single. I, I, I'm just full of grief. So well, then it's better for you to get married than to live in grief. But if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, um, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter, it's about sex. So I don't know how you could all of a sudden turn 1 Corinthians 7, 9 into, oh, oh, I'm just, I'm just grieving because I'm single. That, that's not what's in, in, in play there. Someone just asked about Psalm 14, about Psalm 14, I'm assuming in regards to human depravity. Uh, yes, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool have said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt, they have done ab ab abominable works, 
for there is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They're all gone aside. They're all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Exactly. So I think, again, we can, we can prove human depravity without Jeremiah 17, 9. So his argument that we made up Jeremiah 17, 9 to prove human depravity is ridiculous because human depravity is taught, I believe, from Genesis to Revelation. Um, I think it's demonstrated over and over and over. Even, even the supposed heroes of the faith in the Bible are, are, are shown as committing sin. So, I mean, you, you just would have to be ignoring the Bible to say that. I, I, look, I wish the Septuagint didn't translate it differently. It would make everything easier, but that's a whole separate issue. You can't say we just made up the doctrine. And then, of course, number four, that sexual interest is burning, that we made that up because we mistranslated 1 Corinthians 7, 9. That argument is ridiculous because the text is clearly about sex from chapter 7, verse 1, all the way down. So it would make no sense that all of a sudden in verse 9, Paul's like, hey guys, if you're grieving because you're single, get married. I, that just, it makes no sense, all right? Um, then today, we come to number five. Sorry for the long review, but that's okay. We skipped a day, so I'm gonna, I'm just, I've, I, I'm gonna not apologize too many times for the long review. Here we go. Number five, this is the one that, when I saw this, I was like, oh no, have I gotten this wrong my whole Christian life? And I believe every church I have ever been in, every single church I've ever been in, this would be something they would all agree on. All right, here we go. According to this article and according to this email that we made up, we made it up, Christians, the idea that God calls for corporal punishment or for spanking of children, that that was made up by Christianity. This is what they say. One of the most common ideas among Christians is that God tells them to spank their children. Isn't that clear in Proverbs 13, 24? Proverbs 13, 24. Now I'm going to read it first from the King James. Proverbs 13, 24. I have heard this verse a million times in my Christian life. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him be, be times or many times. All right. So let's read this again. Proverbs 13, 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him many times, or as the King James says, be times. Now, the NIV translates it this way. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. All right, now, Okay, now I'm going to follow, I'm going to try to follow their logic here. I'm going to just read from them. Immediately after they quote Proverbs 13, 24, and they quote it from the NIV, they immediately say this, but try 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21, where the same terms are used. Now we got to stop right here. Got to stop right here. First of all, when it says the same terms are used, we would have to realize we're going from Hebrew to Greek. So is the meaning of rod in Proverbs and the Hebrew 
Is it the same? Does it mean the same thing as we find in 1 Corinthians? Well, we'll, we'll, have, we'll do a little bit of work here in just a second to see if that's true or not true. But this is what they quote. So shall I come to you with a rod of discipline or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? Few readers would say the apostle plans to hit the Corinthian people with a stick. But Christianity doesn't want to acknowledge a rather basic fact about the Bible. Rulers or divine authorities carry rods or staffs or scepters as a sign of authority. All right, we got to stop here and work through all of this, all right? Because the, the emailer and this article, they don't really care to, sp- they, they put it this way, there was no desire to spend a lot of time with these passages of Scripture. They weren't going to really like look at all of the complexities and the layers and the context. It was just like, boom, you made it up. Let's go to the next one. Boom, you made it up. Let's go to the next one. So I have to try to slow this down and and try to, to work through this and see what we can find. All right, so first of all, let's look at Proverbs 13, 24 and the Blue Letter Bible app. Let's, let's do that. Let's go with that, okay? Just to see what the Hebrew word actually means, all right? And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to acknowledge if I've gotten this wrong my whole life and every church I've ever been in has gotten this wrong, all right? He that spareth his rod right? Um, it says this, the word, the Hebrew word is this. Strong's H 7626, Shevet, Shevet, and second entry, Shevet, Shevet. Right. Um, I probably would have pronounced it Shevet, but it Shevet, I think is exactly how it's supposed to be said, but uh, it's used 190 times. All right, so that, that gives us a lot of things to check. It can it can refer to a tribe, which is interesting, as a tribe 140 times, rod 34 times, scepter 10 times, staff two times. Strong's definition of Chevette, uh, it meaning a branch, okay, that's not too, super helpful, literally a stick for punishing, riding, fighting, ruling, walking, all right, uh, uh, correction, dart, rod, scepter, staff, or tribe. But please note, immediately it's a literally a stick for punishing or for fighting. Now, it can also be used for other means. So in other words, it would be, it would be hard, it would be hard to just ignore that the meaning of the word there in, in the Hebrew clearly is speaking of an instrument that can be used for many things, but punishment was clearly one of them. All right, that seems clear. If you look at the outline of biblical usage, a rod, staff, branch, offshoot, club, scepter, tribe, rod, staff, shaft, club of uh, a shepherd's implement, uh, a, a scepter, clan, or tribe. All right, so it, there's lots of usage, but you cannot deny that it's at least, in some cases, can be used in a punishing way and a defending way and a fighting way, it can definitely be used along those lines, all right? So let's just keep that in mind. Now, that's that's Shevet in the Hebrew found in Proverbs 13, 24. Now, according to the article, 
he wants us to he wants us to go to 1 Corinthians 421 because he says the same term is used. All right, now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I believe he says 1 Corinthians 421. All right, 1 Corinthians 421. All right, and the word rod is used. Now, what does he use here? Okay, the word rod is this. Strong's G, 4464, Hrabdas. 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 is used 12 times, six times rod, four times staff, two times scepter. So very similar to what's used in the Hebrew or in, in Proverbs 13. It says a stick or wand uh, a cane or a baton of royalty, rod, scepter, staff, right? As a cudgel. Now, if you look at the outline of biblical usage, please look what we find. A staff, a walking stick, a rod in which one is beaten, right? So both of them can be used as an instrument in which you are inflicting punishment or you're fighting with. So in both cases, they're, they're that, they're, they're used that way. There's no, I mean, there's no way to get around that the words can mean that. Now, just because the words can mean that doesn't mean that we focus on that and ignore all of their other meanings because they can be used for a lot of different things. So we have to be fair here. We have to be fair here. All right. Now, someone has posted something in the comments. We'll read that in a second. So according to them, let me go back to the article. I'm trying to follow, I'm trying to follow their line of reasoning to make sure I get this. So according to them, few readers would say the apostle plans to hit the Corinthian people with a stick. But Christianity doesn't want to acknowledge a rather basic fact about the Bible. Rulers or divine authorities carry rods or staffs or scepters as signs of authority. All right. Now, there's at least one thing we can say about 1 Corinthians. Clearly, Paul is making He's definitely warning them that he's going to come with some kind of punishment. Now, I think we can all agree that wouldn't mean that he's going to come and hit them with anything. All right. Um, uh, First Corinthians 4.21. Yeah, here we go. Uh, what will ye, shall I come upon you with a rod or in love and in spirit of meekness? So I think we can agree that clearly in First Corinthians 4.21, clearly in that text, Paul is saying, do you want me to come discipline you or do you want me to come with some kind of, uh, in, a, in love and a spirit of meekness? Do you want discipline or do you want this other way of approach? But clearly the rod is representing there some form of punishment, some form of discipline. No question. I completely agree that we don't think Paul is threatening to come beat them with rods but I think we definitely can understand it has a disciplinary context there. Okay, so then we could go back. Now, I think this is fair. We could go back to Proverbs and say, well, when it says spare the rod, it just means don't, don't spare discipline. Doesn't necessarily mean you have to beat someone with a physical instrument. I think that I think you could make a reasonable argument from that. Now, someone, I'm going to go to my Spreaker app really quick so I can read this comment clearly. Here we go. 
Someone just posted this from God Questions. The rod mentioned in Psalm 23 is a symbol of the Lord's strength and protection. The rod was a sturdy wooden stick used as a weapon to fight off wild animals who might have hoped to make an easy meal out of an otherwise defenseless flock of sheep. The shepherd also used the rod to help him keep count of the sheep within the flock, as alluded to in Leviticus 27.3. So yes, the rod had many usages. So that's the one thing we just have to at least be fair with. Based off the Hebrew word and just based off the context of that time, it can be used to hit something. There's no question about it. It can be used to count. It can be used to guide. It can be, it, it can be used to, as a walking stick. It can be used for so many. It could be a sign of authority. It, it, there were so many different things that was connected with it. And this is just true in basic Bible study. Sometimes when you're looking at a word, the word can have countless meanings. And so you have to then choose, okay, which meaning is it, it, it does, what, which meaning belongs right here? And sometimes the best you can go with is, does the context give us the direction? Well, Proverbs is not going to be the biggest help. And First Corinthians, I think it's easier, clearly. You know he's referring to discipline, I, I, but I agree that we don't believe he's going to come hit them with an actual physical object. All right, well, let's go back to the article and see which direction they go here. Judah carries one in Genesis 38. In Numbers 21.18, we see the nobles with scepters and staffs. Angels also carry a rod or staff in Judges 6.21. Let's go to Judges 6.21 really quick. Just see. Judges chapter 6. Verse 21, because they don't quote the actual verse. Um, okay, then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And there rose up fire out of the rock and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord, Lord departed out of his sight. So you have an angel carrying basically a rod or a staff. Okay, I, I think we, we can agree that that seems fair so far. The rods and staffs can heal. In 2 Kings 4, the prophet Elisha uses his to raise a boy from the dead, instructing, lay my staff on the boy's face. More often, the object is a visual for protective divine power. In Psalm 23, 4, David says to God that your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So they're, they're making an argument. Now, that's, that's it. That's all they say. So once again, they stop before we can really dig into this. They seem to be going with the idea that the rod is an instrument of, it's a symbol of authority, and it's an instrument of comfort. It's an instrument of healing. It's an instrument of guidance. Right now, let's go back to Proverbs. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. Now, remember the contrast here, right? So you've got, if you spare the rod, you hate your child. But if you love him, you will chasteneth him. You will. So the idea is, hey, if, if you spare the rod, you hate. And so the rod here is connected with the chastening. So clearly the rod here has to have some connection to discipline. It has to have some. I just think that that's only being fair, Right. Because, hey, if you spare your rod, 
Yeah, you hate you hate your son, you hate your child. But if you love them, you will chasteneth him. You will discipline him. So clearly, the the rod in Proverbs 13:24, I think we just have to be fair. Based off the structure of the verse, clearly, clearly this is not so much about comfort or guidance. It is in regards to discipline. Now, the question is, the question is, does that necessarily mean to spank? I don't know if we can be dogmatic about that. I think what it does mean is that a a, a parent will discipline, and if they don't, they hate their child. I, I I think that that's, I think that that's, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. If we, I'm going to do something really quick. I'm going to go back to the Blue Letter Bible app. If we go to Proverbs chapter 10, okay, I'm just going to look at the word rod in, in Proverbs, all right? Proverbs 10, 13, and the lips of him that hateth understanding wisdom is found. But a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Now here, rod is clearly being used as an instrument inflicting some kind of punishment and some kind of pain. Proverbs 13, 24, which we've read. Proverbs 14, 3, and the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Okay, there it's using symbolically. Proverbs 22, 8, he that swalloweth I'm sorry, he that soweth iniquity shall reap vanity and the rod of his anger shall fail. Now, the rod of his anger seems to be the idea of using an instrument to express that anger. Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. All right. Again, it's still you being used here in correction and discipline. Proverbs 23, 13, with, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Now that becomes pr- uh, even more emphatic, it seems, and going with now, this is obviously some kind of physical situation. Um, Proverbs 23, 14, thou shall beat him with the rod and he shall deliver his soul from hell. All right. That's, that's verse 14. So if you put Proverbs 23, 13 and 14 together, clearly some kind of physical discipline is happening here. Um, Proverbs 26, 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass and a rod for the fool's back. Once again, being used as some kind of physical punishment. Um, Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So here it connects the rod with reproof. So the rod is something different than just reproving the child and just correcting the child. The rod here is, now I got, I have no problem saying that in many contexts, the rod is seen as something positive as a it can be used for healing. It can be used for guiding. It can be used for comfort. But Proverbs use of it almost always, I think in every single case in Proverbs, it seems to be much more 
an instrument of discipline. So I, I, first of all, I don't think the article is being anywhere fair because if you really want to deal with the way the word, because what they did is like, here's the word rod in Proverbs 13, 24. They ran to first Corinthians and said, Hey, see, Paul obviously is not going to beat them for real. So now they take that, bring that back to Proverbs 13, 24 and say, well, see, obviously the rod is not to be used in a literal sense. Then they go to all these other places where the rod is used in positive ways, but then they completely ignore every time the word rod is used in Proverbs. That's kind of, that's a, that's a shoddy way of doing a, a Bible argument. If you're going to do a Bible argument, let's start with how the word is used in the book where it's found, where we're, where we have the issue. We got to go through all the Proverbs. And I just went through, I think I went through all of them, at least how it's used in the King James. The, clearly there, there's a, a physical dis- discipline, at least in view. I think it would be hard to say that it wasn't in view at the time. I think it would be hard. And remember, you're dealing with a culture, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, look at the Old Testament law. I mean, a, a child could be stoned to death, literally killed by people throwing rocks at them for certain actions. So I don't think a rod would have been even viewed as like, that would have been the, 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 uh, the less of punishments compared to what could happen according to Old Testament law. But here's what I would say. Here's what I will say. I am willing to concede the following. That within Christianity, certain branches of Christianity... It has been taught, and there are, there are ministries out there who have taught this, that basically spanking is the go-to default means of punishing and disciplining a child. Some will go so far as literally, I can't remember the name of the books. Um, I, I've, I've had people in my church who were influenced by, the, by these books, but they almost, the idea of like having an actual rod that you use to discipline your child. And the book told you how to like literally to make it and all that. And I've heard sermons where they're like, you need to get, you know, this or you need to use this, some kind of instrument. And they, it's always like inflict some level of pain for discipline, some kind of corporal punishment. I mean, clearly that was that was built a lot into even even when I went to school, um, they they had the paddle. And if you disobeyed, you were sent to the principal's office and literally hit with a wooden paddle. You were spanked. Um, had to lean over the principal's desk and whack. Okay, it was no fun. Okay, so literally that way of thinking has been, it, it entered not only into the world of Christianity, it was just a very cultural thing, right? You Older people will talk about how they would get in trouble and then their parent would tell them to go out and literally find a, a branch from a tree, you know, like to use, and then they would bring it back and be spanked with it, like these crazy stories. So clearly this has been very much built into the framework. And so I'm willing to concede that some of that by all, by, I mean, any, I think any reasonable way of thinking went too far and I think abused the biblical text. I think we can agree with that. I think we should be able to agree with that. I know some older person is like, no, I was hit with a, I was hit with a two by four and look at how good I turned out. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Okay, that's no, that's not, that's not good. All right. So I will concede that I think some of this has gone too far. 
But at the same time, we have to be fair with the text. Proverbs clearly sees the rod, at least in Proverbs, as a means of chastening, as a means of punishing. And when it says beat them with the rod, I mean, that's pretty obvious how it's intended. I mean, like there's no way to get around. Hey, beat them with a figurative metaphorical way of disciplining. And no, clearly it's in view there. But I think if you take everything the Bible says about the rod, I think this could bring balance to this. All right. So here's what I would say. A parent, biblically speaking, has a divine authority in a sense given to them, right? That they they have an authority over the child and the child is supposed to show respect and honor to the parent. There's this kind of divine authority that, that's structured. But with that, and so the rod represents, first of all, the authority of the parent as given to them, that God has given to them that authority and God's structure within the home, you know, and, and then of course we, you know, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. So the sword represents the government's authority, right? So we, it's a symbol of authority. So the parent has the authority, got it. With that authority comes responsibility, And with that responsibility, the rod should be used sometimes as an instrument of direction, sometimes as an instrument of comfort, sometimes as an instrument of protection. And to leave that out would be detrimental to the overall picture of the rod being used there. The rod is used there to heal. The rod is used there to to comfort. It's to guide. It's to direct. It's, it's to do a lot of things. You could argue that it's used to support because it's a walking stick. It's used there for many things. So the parent has all of these responsibilities to guide, to direct, to comfort, to support, to protect. All of these. Sadly, many just see it. The parent has the rod and they're supposed to use it to inflict pain, to drive out foolishness from the heart of the child and to fix them and to make them the way they're supposed to be. And I think that that is, that is flawed. That is flawed. So I believe, I don't believe that we have to say that the Bible tells us that we have to use the rod in a punishing way every single time, but that it is definitely used in the means of correction and chastening and punishment to a certain extent. Now, now, there's a part of me, and I'm, and I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with this. And the reason I'm struggling with this is because, again, my whole Christian life, my whole Christian life, it was basically like, look, if you are raising kids and you're not, you're not using the rod per se, you hate your child and you're not being a good parent and you're failing in your God-given responsibility. So I, 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 I don't want to say we throw that out. I put it this way. I would have a hard time saying the Bible doesn't only support the concept of some kind of corporal punishment in some way, shape, or form. Put it this way. It's more pro-corporal punishment than a lot of people may want to admit. At the same time, I think it offers a much more balanced perspective 
than many of the pro. I think here's what I, 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 we tend to have. We have the pro-corporal punishment that sometimes seems to forget, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think the Bible is saying every time you turn around, you have to use it. I, I, I think the Bible is offering a, a, a much more holistic approach than just punishment. And I think you can, you can use the rod because you're using your authority to discipline and chasing without inflicting physical pain. You have to acknowledge that that's a possibility, right? I understand that the biblical text may allow for the other, but it also would call for, it, it, it by no means it's demanding it. In other words, it's simply saying, as the parent, you have an authority to inflict the right kind of discipline and chastening upon the child. But I don't think it's necessarily saying you have to inflict physical pain by the use of using the rod. I know it, it would support the idea, but I don't think it would demand the idea. At least I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that. So I think sometimes in the pro-corporal punishment side, it just becomes you spank them. You spank them. That's your God-given responsibility. You do that. And I think sometimes on the anti-corporal punishment side, they may, may be unwilling to acknowledge, man, if you look at the way that is used in Proverbs, there's clearly seeming to be a call for at least the possibility of it. So I think we have, this is where we have to try to be honest with the text but not honest with the text where we only see one perspective. We have to see all of it. We have to see the whole thing. And, I, and, and to me, this is where I tend to fall in, in a lot of this. Um, I'm not, I'm not a, a huge fan of sometimes what I find is the extreme pro-corporal punishment side. I definitely find myself in conflict with them. But here's what I would say. I feel that one of the key elements in understanding this entire concept with, with children and what to do, and I know we've gone way, way past what the today's focus episode is supposed to be, but that's okay. There's so much here to try to work through. Um, I think we often forget the reality of total depravity because some feel, I think, or at least some parents think, that the right corporal punishment will somehow overcome or drive out the sinful depravity within the child. And all it will do is create an atmosphere where the child will hide it, will maybe maybe try to follow the external rules, but it doesn't do anything to change the heart. All the physical punishment in the world will not change the internal aspect of them. It's almost like, I, I think many Christian parents believe a law-based mentality will be the key to properly handling the child, but you can punish, you can ground, you can threaten, you can spank, you can, and it won't change depravity. It will not. It cannot. It's incapable of doing so. All you can do is try to maintain certain external behavior, which may make your life easier. I think sometimes parents are willing to discipline because it makes their life easier, right? When you discipline for your benefit, 
for your peace of mind, for, for you, for you to feel better, for your day to go better, for you to get whatever peace or quiet or whatever you want. Well, then that discipline is not, I think biblical discipline is where you're instructing and you're teaching. It's just not, I'm going to, whatever the punishment be. And listen, you don't even have to use corporal punishment to do this. You're punishing the child because, well, their actions are are making your day go bad. So you're going to inflict punishment on them so that your life is easier. Well, wait a minute. Now that's not showing that you love the child. That's not showing that you care for them. That's not showing that you are trying to help them. You're trying to help yourself. So I think that that's a sinful approach and we're all guilty of that. You know, we, we all do that. So I'm, you know, I'm not trying to heap guilt on anyone. I'm just saying we have to be honest with ourselves. So, so I think when we come to the disciplining concept, that it's much more complex than whether to spank or not to spank. I think what we have to acknowledge is that none of it will fix the depravity from within. So we are forced to then have a more holistic approach. And I think we see all that when we look at everything the Bible has to say in regards to the rod, there are many elements to it, many elements to it. There are these very comforting, positive elements to it. There's a symbolic element to it, but there seems to be a very physical element to it, especially in the way Proverbs uses it, right? Now, I'm not saying Psalms seems to use it completely different than the way Proverbs does. I don't think there's any way to get around it. Proverbs uses it in a very specific way, in a very specific way. And you either have to, well, it doesn't really mean that. So I think that we have to bring in all of it. But we we cannot forget that when it comes to discipline, it won't change depravity. And we always have to ensure our discipline is really our desire to help the child, to guide the child, not simply to make my life easier. Because then it's not, then I'm not disciplining the child really as an act of love for them. I'm disciplining the the child as an act of love for self. Now, I think we can all agree we've all been guilty of that. So I don't know if this completely... I don't know if this completely obliterates the idea of corporal punishment, but I think it raises questions in regards to it. There's too many other verses in Proverbs that makes me go, I don't know. I I, I don't know. Um, I I just, I I just, I, I, I struggle with this one. I struggle with this one. So I, I'm, I'm, like I said, if you, if you just look up, I'm going to go back to it. And, and by all means, you can look up the rest of the Bible and look because it's used a lot. But if you just get to Proverbs, right? Uh, in the lips of him that hath understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him that is void of understanding. Again, that's very physical. Proverbs 13, uh, 13 24, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth. So obviously the rod is connected to chastening. All right. Um, and then... Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Now, again, you could still use that in a much more, it doesn't have to be physical. I understand that. Um, But then you get to Proverbs, I see that's Proverbs 22, 15, and then 23, 13, and 14 is where it really gets not pleasant. 
without withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Proverbs 23, 14, thou shall beat him with the rod and shall deliver his soul from hell. Now I've got, I got so many issues with Proverbs 23, 14, because first of all, you're not going to deliver his soul from hell. I, I completely, I, I like that one we, we need to do some work on, but, but, but for our purpose in this episode, it definitely shows a physical aspect to the rod that cannot be completely overlooked. But I think we need a holistic approach. We need to ensure that we understand whatever physical discipline, it cannot fix the internal depravity, can only create behavioral modification to modify the external, but the internal won't be changed. And typically the internal will rise up and rebel against the external and that we cannot discipline for us. Discipline is supposed to be instruction and teaching and correcting and helping the one who's being disciplined. And if we're disciplining simply for ourselves, then we're showing love for ourselves and not for the one who's being disciplined. I think that's a pretty good holistic approach to it. And I think sometimes those who are pro-corporal punishment, they ignore the other. And I think sometimes those who are anti-corporal punishment sometimes can ignore some of the language that's used here. But the language is very strong in Proverbs, very strong, and has a very tangible, physical feel for it. Now, that may be me imposing just all of the teaching I've ever heard in my life upon it, and I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to concede that maybe I haven't had the best understanding of this because it's just always been taught to me. Boom, boom. I mean, like, like just that's the way it is. And typically what they do is they go through all the verses <laughs> in Proverbs, right? They, they go through all of them and they're like, okay, this is the way it is. So I, I don't know. How do we deal with some of those verses? Now, I do believe, and I think this is fair, the Proverbs typically gives us general principles. So, I I don't know. I don't know. I will leave it there. This is sure to spark much conversation. Now, remember that today's focus is really designed not to be a teaching. It's really designed for me to just kind of say, hey, guys, here here it is. Let's focus on this and work on it. So I'm going to say, here it is, guys. Let's focus on it and work on it. And then I'm love to hear, I want to hear the pro whatever, the the pro-corporal punishment, the anti-corporal punishment, those who are in the middle. I want to hear every, I want to hear all, all the sides. We we definitely can return to this. This is, I I debated all morning about, do I do this or not? Do I do this or not? Because I knew there was no way I could do it in 15 or 20 minutes. There's just no way. So now I've gone 51 minutes and I feel like I've, I've defeated the very purpose the Today's Focus podcast series supposed to have. But I think every once in a while I can violate the purpose for this. But I just feel like this is a no-win. This is one of those that no matter what I say, I'm going to offend half of the, no matter what I say, half of the audience is going to disagree. Because the audience, I clearly, is is very, I guarantee you, is very divided. You've got the very pro-corporal punishment, and you've got those who are very uh, opposed to it. And the two are about to say, 
you, you ticked me off and I'm not trying to tick anyone off. I'm trying to just work through all the issues. It's what I'm literally trying to do. I'm trying to go, okay, well, I can see this. I can see, I can see, look, when I first read it, I was like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe, maybe, maybe. But the only thing is the, at least that article did is they completely ignored the way the word is actually used in Proverbs. They went, they went from Proverbs, immediately left Proverbs, went to 1 Corinthians, where obviously Paul is not going to hit anyone with an actual rod. He's, he's making a threat of bringing punishment. Clearly, the context would tell you that's what he means. Then they go run to all of these other passages where clearly the rod is being used in the most positive light and then says, see, you got it all wrong. But wait a minute, wait a minute. What about the rest of Proverbs? <laughs> Well, what about the rest? Of, and I, I bet you, I bet you, if we go, I, I could be wrong, but I would challenge you to, to do this. If we go from Genesis to Revelation and look anytime a rod or staff, we're going to see plenty of verses where it's positive, comforting, and directing. But I bet you it's sometimes we're going to see that it's being used in somewhat of an, a physical way to strike someone. So in other words, you can't just leave that. And the very meaning of the Hebrew word, it's an instrument that can be used for punishment, for fighting. So it has that element. In other words, we can't just overlook that. All right. (laughs) This is not what I wanted to do today. I did not. I did not. But it had to be talked about. It had to be talked about. Had to be. Had to be. Because I've seen... I've seen this used in horrific ways within Christianity. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen the corporal punishment within Christianity be used in ways that are horrible, that are horrific, that I think amounts to nothing more than child abuse. There's no way to get around it. All right? I, I think, And I think some people's reaction to that is to go to another extreme. What I'm trying to do and I think this is important, is I'm trying not to allow my personal feelings here get in the way because my personal feelings, based on how I was raised, would be like, hey, don't don't ever do any form of corporal punishment because child abuse is a horrific thing. But I can't allow my personal feelings and my personal experience influence how I interpret the text. Because if I start interpreting the text based off what I want or what I feel, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, okay, I'm probably going to be engaged in a lot of things today that would shock everyone if I start changing the text based off my feelings or wants, right? So I can't do this with this one either, right? This one, I, I, this is one that's just frustrating because you're like, why don't use the word rod? <laughs> because it's used for positives and very, very, very physical negative things as well. So I can we, uh, can the text be like, hey, properly discipline your children in a non-physical way. And if you don't do that, you hate them. But if you love them, you'll use this very thought out, discipline that's not physical in nature and you will do this often. I, I mean, I wish the text would be like written in a way where you're like, okay, clearly it's not referring to corporal punishment. But I think if you go back to the times of the Proverbs, I mean, remember, go back to the Old Testament law. You can look it up. A chi- If a child did certain things, they could be stoned to death. 
I mean, that, that's a culture that obviously believed in corporal punishment. I don't think there's any way to get around it. I, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you, if you're saying the kids can be stoned to death, I mean, you'd be like, uh, stones are the rod. Please give me the rod today. I do not feel like getting hit in the head with rocks. I just don't feel like that. That's what I want today. So I, I, to me, I don't know if they would have understand this. Oh, let's bring comfort to the child. I don't, I don't know if they would have understood it that way. I don't know. I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Put it this way. The writer of Hebrews clearly talks about beating the child with the rod. So clearly that seems to be that they were taking it in a far more literal way than maybe we want to. But, but I, I just can't let my own, per, I guess I'm conflicted here because there's a part of me is like, you know what? They're right. I was wrong. They're, spanking should stop immediately. But there's another part of me is like, well, wait a minute. Is that personal feelings or I'm being honest with the text? But on the other hand, I'll be the first one to say, hey, I, look, I don't know what you're doing over there, Christian parent, but you're acting like, you know, I don't know, some kind of evil brute that thinks inflicting pain upon the child is going to somehow fix them, and it's not. So how do you balance all of this? I, I guess the bottom line of this, parenting is hard. Parenting as a Christian sometimes feels literally impossible. Trying to figure out how to do this in the most biblical way possible. But I just want you to know, all of your parenting skills cannot, cannot fix their depravity. It cannot. And sometimes, I think some Christian parents wants to fix the depravity of the child for their own motives. They want to look good. They don't want people to think they're being a bad parent. It's about the parent. And when it, your discipline becomes more about you than it does the future and the, and the comfort and the love and the help of the child, you've lost the plot. All right, email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I am going to get shot by both sides today, and I don't really want that, but... I'm not hiding behind the microphone. There's my email, newsif at yahoo.com. You start emailing, you start commenting in the Discord channel, and I will be more than happy to listen to every concern, thought, and counter proposal. And I got no problem turning on the microphone an hour from now or, or next week saying, guys, I was 100% wrong. This person helped me see I made a mistake. I got no problem doing that. But I, I tried to be as fair as I can be. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, and that is your very, 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 very long episode of the Today's, Fo Today's Focus podcast series for Friday, December the 30th, 2022.